0: Principal Matters Podcast, episode 328. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I am talking to my friend Michael Alpert about peer driven. PD. Michael Alpert is a Crystal Apple award-winning educator and has worked in both small r- rural districts and large suburban districts in the Portland metro area, even serving overseas as a teacher and central administrator in Prague, Czech Republic. Michael is also a founding board member of Ex Novo Brewing Company, a benefit corporation donating All net proceeds to charitable organizations. He founded Peer Driven PD in 2019 with the goal of bringing streamlined private sector solutions to public education. Mike's corporate experience as a project analyst for an international renewable energy firm and as a financial services specialist led him to realize the importance of education across all fields. He earned his MBA at Portland State University with a focused coursework in finance and innovative management. And he took his experience to the classroom and the school office where he worked for over a decade as a middle school humanities teacher before becoming a building administrator and later founding Peer Driven PD. On his off days, you can find him training for his next half marathon or at his home with his wife and their growing family. Michael Albert, welcome to Principal Matters podcast. Why don't you fill in the gaps on that intro, and then tell listeners something else they may be surprised to know about you?
1: Uh, thank you, Will. It's an honor to. I'm an, I'm honored to be number three twenty eight. That's a that's a great uh, catalog of content you put out. <laughs> I'm a big fan, so thanks for making me. Uh, f- thanks for making me a part of it. Uh, something that folks may not know. Well, listen to that bio. You might guess. I, I mean, I would hear that about someone else and think, "Man, this guy's done some startups and done, uh, you know, started different companies and that sort of thing." Like he, he just must be freewheeling and letting letting it ride all the time. But I'm actually a very risk averse person. Like I'm not someone who enjoys taking big leaps into new territory uh, without uh, some guarantees. And so I have my uh, my wife to thank for uh, the backbone to do a lot of what I do. She is also an accountant, but she is a risk averse person. And, and when I you know, feel like I'm unsure of the next step. She's always the support system behind me, pushing me to to trust myself and to and to trust um, trust the future. So uh, yeah, all that I am comes from from the amazing woman I'm married to.
0: That's good to know. Well, let me tell a dirty little secret to uh, principal matters listeners, and that is that in the podcasting world, There are a lot of folks out there that reach out to podcasts and say, Hey, can I jump on your show? Or could I possibly talk about my content? And you know this, Michael, because you and I've talked off the air, that a lot of times when I'm coming across really interesting resources or education resources, sometimes I'll glance through them and I'll pass over because I'm like, yeah, this doesn't really resonate with, with with my audience but I was looking across your content and I was so excited when I saw what you were doing that I reached out and said, Michael, I want you on my podcast. And so I, I, I know that you are not a practicing administrator right now, but you are a former teacher and administrator who's now doing work, providing PD for teachers. And I want to really talk about a couple of things. Um, One, I want to talk about transitions and leadership. And then two, I want to talk about peer driven PD, but you know that I did a series of posts on transitions and education positions um, well, over the last month and a half. And you have worked in the public sector, the private sector. You've been an accounting business school person. You have taught English overseas. You've taught middle school students. You've served as a dean and an AP. So before we even talk about what you're doing now, I thought it would be really helpful to have another story like yours for listeners who may be considering transitions in their own work. What motivated you first of all, to make so many transitions in your career? And then second, what advice would you have for educators who are thinking about changes in their own work?
1: It's a great question.
0: Uh, When I look back
1: over my career, I oftentimes feel like uh, something comes to mind that uh, Tim Ferriss, who I'm a big fan of, put some words to, and he talked about being a specialized generalist. And so what that is, is kind of combining unlikely skills that you have and can become kind of a superpower for you. So if you wanted to be a basketball player, the world's best basketball player, right? You're, you have a lot of competition uh, in that domain and it's going to be pretty hard to get to the top 1%. But if you're a computer science uh, major that also studied law, like there's a lot that you can do in that intersection that's going to make you a pretty rare commodity. So I've always been interested in in chasing my interests and pursuing my curiosities because like a lot of educators out there, I'm a lifelong learner and have a lot of different... Um, Different fields that I'm interested in, but really to go back to your question about transitions, none of this was planned. I'm just going to throw that out there right out of the gate. This wasn't a master plan of mine that I had to go from being an accountant to a business owner serving school districts. Uh, all of that has been a very circuitous route, and I've learned a lot along the way. So I, you know, I was an English major in, in college. I went to Texas A&M, Giggum Aggies. And I taught overseas for the first year right after undergrad, because I wanted to travel the world a little bit. I I taught in Prague, Czech Republic, taught public high school students. It was an amazing experience. I got to travel a lot while I was there. By the way,
0: I'm so glad you pronounced it Prague for me, because (laughs) when I said that word earlier, I was like, I'm not going to stop and correct myself, but I just did. So please continue.
1: Well, you got the important part right. A, long, a lot of people still say Czechoslovakia and it hasn't been Czechoslovakia <laughs> since 1989. So you got that, you got, you got the most important part correct. So the Czechs out there will appreciate that. Um, but I taught overseas and I was also a central administrator there where I kind of helped negotiate contracts and, and made sure that they were upheld um, with the host institutions. Love that experience. Wanted to be a teacher when I got back to the States um, but didn't have my teaching license here. so I came back to the states and thought, you know what, I want to go to grad school to get my degree, to get my license, but I want to save up a little. <laughs> it goes back to the risk aversion. I want to save up a little money first and pay for it, so I don't have to go into a lot of debt. So I took an entry level job at a, a local credit union, it's the employer credit union of Intel and Microsoft and Nike, some big big employers here in the Northwest, and uh, you know slowly kind of started working my way up the ranks there and and did okay, did a decent job and. They came to me a few years in, you know, one year, two years turns into three or five pretty easily. They came to me and said, hey, we'd love for you to go to grad school. We know you want to be a teacher, but we'll help pay for it if you go to business school and maybe plan on sticking around for a little while. So I thought, well, I love education. I have developed an interest in, in finance and accounting, so I'll, I'll do that. Ended up transitioning, working for a different firm, very large energy firm. But then I hit 30, you know, and, and was doing well in my career. I was getting to travel, was, was working hard. Deep making decent money, but just felt like that itch to be in the classroom never left. And I just thought, I just don't, I've spent a decade doing the corporate thing and I just don't have a desire to spend my life in a spreadsheet. I really don't. And I miss being around kids. So I went back to grad school again, and there was a six month period where I was co-enrolled in business school, finishing up and starting my my master's in teaching to where like I would work all day as a project manager. I'd go to school at night for a corporate strategy class on Monday night. And then Tuesday night, I'd be in an early development class for my master's in teaching. And it was just a banana's time. But, um, but you know, wanting to accomplish both of those goals. So I ended up finishing in 2008, 2010 ish, right in the middle of the recession. And teaching middle school was a job I could get. I always thought I would be a high school teacher, um, but I never thought I would fall in love with fall in love with sixth graders. I mean, I just, it remains one of the best jobs I've ever had, bar none. Um, So I spent seven years teaching humanities to sixth graders, then uh, was just curious about the leadership opportunities that existed beyond the classroom, You know, having spent a lot of time studying management. And I, in the corporate sector, had had some some, uh, leadership opportunities as well and really enjoyed those. So I got my admin license, spent a year as a dean, and then transferred to a much larger district um, as an AP. And about three years into that job, uh, they came to me and said, my boss came to me one night with tears in her eyes. It was conferences. I was running conferences for the night. And I was supposed to be there till eight or nine o'clock at night. She closed my office door. And I thought that she was going to tell me about some crazy health diagnosis or something. And she said, I don't have a job for you next year. And I said... What I thought I thought this was going pretty well. She said, "You know, it's it's not you. It's we have a huge budget crisis. We're about fifteen million dollars short. We were at I was at about a thousand student middle school. We had a principal and two APs. And she said they're just eliminating one AP position next year. You're the you're the lowest person on the seniority totem pole. I'm sure we'll have a job for you by May." This was February, but as of right now, you're not going to be at the school next year, which was heartbreaking because we I had built some really great relationships and, and it had been a really fun experience there. But I go home that night to my pregnant wife. Um, I'm home an hour early. My, my mother-in-law is visiting and I walk through the door and my wife's like, "What are you doing home so early?" And I said, "Well, I, I kind of lost my job for next year. And you know, telling that to your pregnant wife, and her mom over the dinner table might might inspire some trepidation for a lot of folks but my my wife cheered she was like yes i was like oh. i didn't have the same reaction i was i was pretty worried and and she said you know you're always talking about different problems that you can solve from an entrepreneurial standpoint within public education you're always talking about this And I think it's time we just embrace this as, you know, God showing us a different path and let's, let's try something new. Let's put our money where our mouth is and and figure it out. And her parents have, were, and are very successful entrepreneurs and um, confident in that domain. And and my mother-in-law said, we'll back you. Like, we got your back. Let's do this. And So when it came May, sure enough, the school district did right by me and said, "Hey, we've got a couple AP jobs at a high school if you want one." And they offered me, you know, some different some different positions. And I said, "You know, I love you guys. I really appreciate it, but uh, I'm going to resign and I'm going to start this business and see where it where it takes me." So, uh, you know, again, my risk aversion wouldn't have taken me down that path. I probably would have wound up doing something in the private sector with schools. 20 or 30 years from now, it just got accelerated. Uh, exponentially, and have found myself doing that for the last three or four years, and I honestly couldn't be happier. It's been an amazing ride and a whole lot of fun. Um, it's not what I would have chosen for myself, but I'm very grateful to be where I am.
0: Well, I am so excited to talk to Principal Matters about what that work has become for you because it you have now developed amazing resources for other educators. But before we even go there, I want to I want to stay on your story, Michael, because. As I talk to leaders who are thinking about transitions for themselves, some transitions within the organization that they're serving, they're looking at maybe moving from AP to principal, or some principals I work with who are thinking about moving into central office or superintendent work, or some people thinking about that, that move outside of education. Um, it's really interesting to me. I was having this conversation with my own uh, daughter, my second child, who is still in college. And we were talking about um, she is interested in pursuing education as an option. Um, but yet, the, when we talk about it, the, the context is almost always um, pretty limited to what can I do within a, uh, a school setting um, with a certain number of grades. And I've just really been trying to have the conversation that, that I wish someone had had with me in my early years, that education is a field that covers lots of territory, and not just um, for principals. I think a lot of folks go from teacher to principal, and maybe they look at superintendent or something like that. And in my own experience, when I was a school principal, I looked at the work of superintendents. I'm superintendent certified, and I looked at that work and thought, I, that's something I do not want to do. And so for me, the transition happened when I had the opportunity to begin serving leaders in the capacity that I'm doing through my state, but also through principal matters too. And so it's exciting when you can see that sometimes possibilities can lead you to other places. And I liked what you said too. Well, you're also very lucky to have family who ask you to embrace the change. So any other thoughts you want to add to that conversation about leaders who sometimes are agonizing over that next move, things that you have learned from taking the next move?
1: You know, one thing that they talk about in business school a lot, and I I think about this constantly, um, and when I do meet with schools, a lot of times I frame the work that we do in terms of a problem and solution. So, you know, they say that you're going to be compensated and valued relative to your ability to solve problems, right? That's really kind of the bottom line. And I think one thing that is really important for people to ask themselves are, what problems exist around me that aren't currently solved or that need additional solutions? Maybe there is one solution, but there could be more. And then what, which of those problems do I feel enthusiastic about solving, right? Like you said, you looked at the superintendent position. You said, there's plenty of problems there. I don't have a lot of interest in solving them. And to be honest, like, I was probably you know, maybe four or five, six years away from being a principal. And I think some of, that, some of those problems looked interesting to me. Um, you know, I was dealing a lot with discipline and and um, and kind of helping the trains run, as my boss would put it. Um, but you know, when I looked at doing what I'm doing now, it it was a problem that I was passionate about solving, and that I didn't see a lot of people trying to solve in a in a unique and innovative way. And so, you know, but it doesn't have to be something that hasn't that, that's completely new and, and super innovative. I took my son two nights ago, my three-year-old to the emergency room. He had an allergic reaction to medication. He's fine. Um, everything worked out really, really well, but I'm sitting there and we're in this, it's flu season. So we're in this ER that is, that is maxed out. And we're sitting on a gurney in a hallway instead of a room. And I see these nurses running around and they're all solving problems. They're all solving incredibly important problems, but every single nurse I interacted with was confident and competent and um, excited to be there, even though it was like nine o'clock at night on a, on a Monday night. And I just thought these are people that are solving the problems they want to solve. Right. And so if you are in a position where you're not excited about solving the problems that are in front of you, it might be a good time to consider transition. But I think a good next step is to try to find a problem that you want to solve and that you're excited about solving that you feel Mm -hmm. like you have the energy to, to address.
0: Friends, I want to take a quick break here to ask you a question. Did you know that leaders learn better together? When we isolate ourselves from the input and insight of others, then we work within the limitations of our own ideas and experience. And that's why I'm so grateful that you're listening to this podcast right now. It's also why I want to keep you informed of upcoming episodes, as well as Leadership Academies, Mastermind Offerings, or executive coaching opportunities I'm making available to leaders like you. Go to williamdparker.com and check out the services link to learn more, or visit my website and select the subscribe button to be on the weekly Principal Matters mailing list. Thank you so much for learning together. Now let's jump back into the rest of today's episode. And I I really like that, Michael, and I'm going to repeat back what you said. Your compensation should be relative to your ability to solve problems. And I want to make sure that educators know, because when we talk about that word compensation, sometimes that's that's also relative, because unfortunately, in the education field, we don't often see people compensated as well as we do in non-education fields. But I will say this, that in usually in any setting I've ever been in, whether it's profit or non-profit, the people who are really good at solving problems, they are recognized and their compensation may not always be salary, but it's going to be a compensation in terms of the value that people see that they have, the titles that they end up receiving, the kind of trust that they're earning with the people around them. And that usually does lead to opportunities for things that they want to do or ideas that they may want to step into or positions that they may want. And so Principal Matters listeners, I just want to, remind you that in the problem solving that you're doing every single day, that you provide an enormous value to the people in your community because of your ability to solve problems. And I think sometimes leaders forget that they are amazing problem solvers. And so, um, so be encouraged that 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 ability to solve problems is highly valuable. Um, Anything else you want to add to that? Because I'm getting ready to talk about peer driven PD.
1: Let's do it. Yeah.
0: All right. So when you started this company, I, I would just love for you to talk about what motivated you because you you mentioned earlier how you always dreamed of solutions that you wanted to see that weren't it, within the, your, your grasp as an educator. And so then you saw, well, maybe I can create those solutions. So talk to Principal Matters listeners about peer-driven PD and what educators can find if they connect with your work.
1: So peer-driven PD is an asynchronous uh, PD platform. So what we do is we, well, back to the problem solution scenario, right? So if you poll administrators and teachers, which we did some independent research of our own, and, and there's been some studies published by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as well, that the things that teachers are looking for are uh, to see themselves represented represented in their professional development. So if you ask teachers and principals, 86% of teachers and principals will agree that the best, the optimal classroom management comes, or optimal professional development comes from full-time classroom teachers. Now, that's not to say, that's not a knock on the specialists, the consultants, the professors out there that are doing amazing work. I think there's definitely Absolutely, a necessity and a need for those individuals. However, I think if you look at the pie chart of the of our current PD, um, PD from classroom teachers is is incredibly underrepresented, right? And so, you know, there's an obvious reason for that: is that there's a logistical issue, there's a logistical problem, right? So teachers are too busy teaching to uh, to to give PD, to to um, produce PD, or to present PD to their colleagues, and so. I just started thinking, what is a way that we can solve that logistical problem, right? What is a way that we can present high quality, full-time classroom teacher-led professional development to teachers? And, you know, when you think about from an innovation management standpoint, if you can create a product out of something, you can um, reuse it over and over again, but only have to to produce it one time. And so in the digital product format. So You know, I can find a world-class teacher, which is what we do. We just find amazing teachers all across the country and we can work with them intensively one time, right? So we can spend a couple of days with them or weeks with them and produce content once the teachers can consume over and over and over again. So basically it's like masterclass for teachers is what I tell people. I mean, that's kind of the most distinct way to put it, but we find amazing, incredible teachers and we document their tips and strategies, what works for them in the classroom every single day and then we make that accessible to school districts and we often go work with school districts to identify their own teachers that can be in our platform as well and produce that content for them. So there's kind of a couple different things that we do, but in a nutshell, that's, that's what we're trying to accomplish.
0: Well, I've had the privilege of, of, because you gave me access to watch some of the PD that you've done and it is, it is, I think so helpful to have the, to have the PD directly, delivered from practicing teachers. So if if anyone's um, has an opportunity to connect with Michael and look at peer driven PD, what you're going to discover, first of all, is just how fresh it is, because these are authentic acting teachers who are providing feedback on their practice. So I wanted to ask you to describe for listeners, if they were able to step into one of those moments, what's one of the favorite moments that you've had in developing these offerings that you've been creating for peer driven PD?
1: You know, the thing that I didn't anticipate, so when I came up with this idea, um, I liked the idea of having high quality video because we kind of got into the the season of of the pandemic where we all got really used to Zoom video quality and that sort of thing. And, and I just thought we can do better than that. Um, and so we use, you know, great film equipment. We have a good production team. Um, we really try to, to present a, um, a finished product that is impressive. However, we wanted it to be still be conversational and still be something that was authentic, like you said, and very accessible. And I think what I didn't anticipate was how much I would love hearing the stories from teachers. So I sit down with teachers and, and more and more now we're having teachers interview other teachers, which I feel like is an important next step for us. But having a, an exceptional teacher sit down with you for hours right, and uh, talk about why they love what they do how they do what they do, like the technical proficiency of what they're doing. um, It's just, it's, it's mind blowing. So I have a buddy who, who is a, who's a a surgeon that he's a, he operates on premature babies and he is world-class at what he does. He's one of two people in our state um, that can, can do his job. And I mean, obviously when he gives advice or he gives us his feedback on something, people hang on his everywhere because it's a matter of life and death. I honestly don't think I'm overstating it when I say that I have met some teachers that are as good at their job as he is at his job. And I think that's something that we don't always appreciate. And so that's one thing that I've loved about it so much. Another thing, you know, you asked about, um, you know, an experience that kind of was really impressionable for me. I remember one of our first probably five courses, I was in Colorado working with a teacher who's an amazing high school math teacher. He teaches everything from ninth grade math to calculus two. And you know we had kind of a list of questions we were going through. We had talked and prepared before and we knew what we were going to talk about. It's not scripted, but we go in with a structure so that it's, it's obviously value added for, for the person that's consuming it. And I asked him a final question that was about, You know, what's something that you're wanting to change going forward or what's a part of your practice that you're wanting to adjust? And he just got this look on his face, this contemplative look and said, you know, I'm just really not satisfied with my with how I taught last year during the pandemic. I was um, frustrated with students. I, you know, I I was overwhelmed and he just was very honest. And I thought, should we leave this in or should we cut this out? And I said, we absolutely were going to leave it in because that's what this whole thing is about. It's about very authentic. Um, perspectives from real teachers. And it, and I think that that is validating for other people to hear, um, especially from this guy who was nominated for teacher of the year in Colorado, um, a very well-regarded, well-respected uh teacher that has gotten a lot of accolades. And for him to say like, yeah, I struggled with with last year. I wasn't really happy with where I was. And this is why. And this is where I'm at in my current professional practice. This is what I aim to address those things. It just was a level of authenticity that I don't think we often see in professional development that I think teachers are hungry for and they're craving because they're living that experience. And it's really, really important that, um, that we have honest conversations about some of those things in addition to all of the very practical, tactical things we discuss, like how to do data-driven reading and project-based learning. Um, you kind of get the whole mix in there.
0: Well, one of the reasons that I was glad to introduce you to Principal Matters listeners, especially because this episode will come out in the new year, is because um, you and I both know that as folks are looking at their calendars, they're already building PD. And principal managers, listeners, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because I start building my PD calendar in January for the full calendar year coming around. So 23, 24 will be built out as fast as I can. And so you're already going to be looking at dates when you need to make sure you have high quality professional development ready for your teachers, whether that's in the spring or whether that's in the coming summer or whether that's in the coming fall or whether that's year long. And so, Michael, I want to ask you a couple of follow-ups. One is, what kind of PD um, would folks find if they were connecting with peer-driven PD? And then two, I want to ask you a little bit about classroom management as as one of those options, because that seems to be a common um, refrain that I'm hearing from leaders, especially is just better um, PD for teachers and managing those most difficult situations.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So we aim to... Uh, have something for just about every teacher so notoriously I always joke that it's the performing arts teachers because I know a lot of them that go to PD and they're like this there's nothing here for me right this isn't relevant because I'm an arts teacher I'm a drama teacher I'm a choir teacher and so we actually have a course for performing arts teachers featuring two amazing performing arts teachers and so we have everything from that to um, you know early childhood education stuff to high school math to, you know, we have, we try to cover all the bases and we're growing all the time. So we're continually adding content Um, in regards to classroom management. That's a, it's a great question. That's, you know, I talk to administrators all over the country all the time. And that's probably the number one question that I hear from folks is we need stuff post pandemic. That's addressing some of the, the, um, the conflict and the struggles that we're seeing in real classrooms right now. So, what we have done is in all of our content, it was developed during COVID or after COVID. So most of our content is post-pandemic. So it's also very timely, right? So the the issues that we're talking about are are real today. So we met with uh, three different teachers over the summer. We did a kindergarten teacher who talks about classroom management, early education. We did a upper elementary teacher who talks about classroom management at the higher end of elementary. And then we did a secondary teacher, all of them amazing teachers. And we did a classroom management essentials course at each one of those levels where we kind of walk through everything a brand new teacher would need to know walking into the classroom um, to manage their classroom effectively, all the way up to stuff that veterans maybe haven't perfected yet and could still use some practice at, um, you know, just honing their craft a little bit. We also have a couple classes on there about building relationships with students. Cause the way that I kind of always look at it is you have the structure side, right? You have to have a lot of structure in the classroom and more structure um, as you reach earlier grades. And then you also have to have the relationship component, right? It's incredibly critical that we're able to build resilient relationships with our students, especially in these kind of post pandemic times. And so we definitely cover both of those bases. And as we go to, a district so and districts can kind of work with us in two different ways they can just consume the content that we already have on the platform or if they need something specifically addressed and they want us to work with one of their teachers um, we also work with schools to do that as well so you're going to see a lot of classroom management stuff already on there but if you see something that you need that we don't have um, we're always available to customize content as well
0: hi friends this is will parker Have you ever received a gift that is so valuable you wanted to share the joy of it with others? That's how I feel every time I learn something new from spending time with educators like the guests on this program and with educators like you. If today's episode gives you new ideas or inspiration, would you share the joy by rating this show on whatever podcast app you may be using? Or better yet, would you share this episode with a friend I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and I just want to say thank you in advance for doing what matters. That is that's so exciting, Michael. Well, I know it's we're going to be wrapping up this conversation, but as we do, I just want to remind Principal Matters listeners, um, I want them to know how they can stay connected with you, and if they want to reach out, Michael, to find out more, because I know all of us are hungry for really good resources for... The people that we're serving. But bef- before you share that contact information, I wanted to give you a chance to for just some parting words of advice. You, you're a listener to Principal Matters, so you know the audience that I'm working with. Folks are probably going to be listening to this post-holiday stepping into a new semester. And so what are some things you would like folks to keep in mind in the important work they're doing? And then how can they connect with you and your work?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't claim to be a coach or uh, I do consult with schools specifically on PD, but I you know was not the guy that was in the front office for 20 years giving out advice. However, something magical has happened with the amount of, I mean at this point, I've spent hundreds of hours listening to teachers. And um, another thing that has been unanticipated is that I think I realized that as an administrator, I didn't listen to my teachers enough. I think it was very surface and it was always putting out fires. And I didn't go to them with real um, substantive questions to either get to know them or to validate their expertise. So one of the things that I have found myself um, inadvertently uh, and kind of by default working with schools on is how to boost staff morale. That's a big issue these days. And again, don't claim to be an expert. But I think I always try to approach things with humility and the fact that I, I feel like I do have some insights just because I've been able to listen to a lot of real stories and a lot of people that are experts in different domains. And, you know, one of the things that one of the pieces of advice I've given people is that if you have an amazing teacher that is struggling, that is maybe close to burnout or that you see is, is having a hard time, there's a couple things you can do that I have seen work really, really well. And, and those are go to that teacher's classroom. Don't call them to your classroom. Actually go to their classroom and ask them, take a problem to them um, that you have that you think they could help you with and ask them for their advice. Don't ask them for their feedback. There's been some research on this, but asking for advice is much more disarming. They don't feel like they have to have the expert opinion on something else. also don't feel like, you know, when you ask for feedback, sometimes people feel like they have to get the diplomatic answer of a little bit of positive, a little bit of negative. Asking for advice is just, hey, what's your opinion on this? Because I value it, because I think you can help me and I have a real issue here that I need some advice on. And it could be an instructional issue. It could be a behavioral issue. And then actually take their advice and uh, let them help you solve a problem because I'm sure that you've experienced this well that there's nothing more validating than helping someone solve a problem with your knowledge and your skills and your experience and I think the one thing that I have learned one of the many things I've learned from from doing the work that I do is we just have an exceptional amount of human resources around us and our teachers that we often take for granted. And I I put myself in that category in first and foremost. Like I, I did not appreciate the level of expertise that we had. And this goes also back to, you know, I listened to your conversation with um with Tim Elmore not too long ago. And I think this goes for our veteran teachers as well as our newer teachers as uh, too. Like we we try to have span the generations and the content that we produce. And, you know, I have sat down with some teachers that are in the first five years of their career that are phenomenal. I mean, they're almost savant-like in, in their trajectory and what they're going to accomplish in their career. And they have incredible ideas that aren't always being tapped. And so I think that's one hack that I've, that I've recommended several principals that I've heard works well is to just go to your teachers, ask for their advice, let them help you solve problems. And I think you're going to be surprised at the responses and the results.
0: Michael, that's golden. And you know, I've got to pause here because I I want to think out loud. And, and so I'm just going to say what I'm thinking. And that's to principal matters listeners that right now in your building, I, no matter where you are, I don't care if you're K eight, I don't care if you're pre KK, I don't care if you're six eight, I don't care if you're nine 12, I don't care if you're K 12. You're serving in a place right now. And there are people in your building who have. Amazing levels of expertise, or incredible ideas, or unique talents. And one of the worst things you can do for your leadership is not recognize and tap into those. And and that's why, you know, in my first book, Principal Matters, I talk about the courage, the action and the teamwork needed for school leaders. And I was very intentional on that title Michael, even though it's too wordy for a book title, um, <laughs> because that word teamwork to me is the is you cannot do it without others, and that's why I always say to leaders: tuck in your cape, quit pretending you're a superhero, and start asking for help. Because guess what? Everyone else in that building is also solving problems and dealing with issues, and some of them have amazing insights that you don't have, or they have amazing insights that could complement what you may know already. And so I'm so glad you went there, Michael, because that, what a great suggestion to go to a teacher, even the struggling ones, and make sure that they recognize you value their input. You want their input. And you ask for their help in solving problems too, to just remind them that they are an expert. In, in your school and whatever they decide to do in their struggling moment to stay or to leave or whatever, they recognize that they're valued because you and I also know the research that people stay longer in places where they feel valued. And so how can we make, reconnect with those in our buildings to make sure that they know that they're valued? Thanks, Michael, for that great suggestion as we're wrapping up. How can listeners stay connected with you, especially if they want to reach out to learn more about Peer Driven PD?
1: Yeah, well, I think the best way to do that is just to go to our website, peerdrivenpd.com and check out kind of what we got going on. Um, You know, one of the things that I I wanted to throw out there is that we, uh, I get asked all the time how to differentiate PD better in schools. And obviously we offer that through the platform, but I have, I have given some suggestions to principals over and over again, whether or not, like I'm, I'm honestly not a great salesman. I'll, I'll just give people, you know, advice for free and say like, Hey, use this if you want it, if we can help you. Great. If not, I hope you find this valuable. So, um, if you go to our website, peerdrivenpdcom slash resources, um, we've got kind of an outline on how anyone can do a professional, uh, a differentiated PD workshop day in their school for free, um, you know, using their own teachers, you know, using the teacher expertise that they have. And it's kind of like a six step guide on how to do that. So they can check that out. Hopefully that adds some value. If you're interested in getting a quote from us or working with us, you can just hit get a quote and contact us. You can also reach out to me anytime, uh, Mike at PeerDrivenPD.com. I'm happy to to chat with you. Um, Again, not much of a salesman. I just kind of like help brainstorming with people and, and happy to hop on a Zoom call for an hour or something and talk through whatever's going on in your building from a PD standpoint. Um, yeah, I would really enjoy being a launching pad for some new ideas.
0: Well, Michael Alpert, I am so glad I got to introduce you in your stories and peer-driven PD to Principal Matters listeners. And Principal Matters listeners, if you want to find information on that free guide to how to the, the six steps to guiding PD in your own buildings, go to peerdrivenpd.com resources, reach out to Mike at his email address. And if you do, because you've heard him on principal matters, you tell him that uh, you connected with him because of uh, the principal matters podcast so that Mike and I can stay connected and, and celebrate getting to know each other's friends. But until um, next time, Mike, thank you so much for taking time to share with principal matters, listeners and principal matters, listeners, I hope you found this inspiring as you think about the PD that you're developing for your folks going into 23,
1: 24, 25, 26. (laughs) Long road ahead
0: of us. I better better just stop. So until next time, thanks for doing what matters and we'll talk to you next week. You can find free resources like this one at my website at loomdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about Leadership Academies, Mastermind Offerings, and Executive Coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today, and thanks again for doing what matters.